On this episode of Glowing Up Asian, we talk to Prisca Bay, Chief Partnership Officer at the Asian American Foundation. Her glow origin story starts in the Chicago suburb where she grew up after immigrating from South Korea. Today, she leads the effort to build corporate support for AAPI causes and increased representation in leadership roles, working with organizations like the Jeremy Lin Foundation and Lingoways. The work she does at TAF is part of a larger community effort that began with the Stop Asian Hate Movement. Hey everyone, welcome to Glowing Up Asian, a podcast where we break down the stereotypes and expectations about what it means to thrive as an Asian in America. I'm Daisy Kong, and today I'm joined by Priska Bay, who's the Chief Partnership Officer at the Asian American Foundation, a nonprofit best known by their initials, TAF. If you're not familiar with TAF, the organization was founded during the height of the Stop Asian Hate movement and caught people's attention when they raised a commitment of nearly $1.1 billion for the Asian American Pacific Islander community. I personally am a really big fan of the work that TAF is doing, so I'm very excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for having me, Daisy. It's so nice to be here. But before I get into TAF and the work that you do there, I wanted to start by talking about your glow up origin story. <laughs> you had shared with me before we started recording that you're born in South Korea and raised in the suburbs of Chicago. And so I'm curious to know, why did your parents move to the United States and what were their dreams for you? Oh, my God. Um I'm afraid the story is very Asian American, which I kind of love. I have a very, I have a very specific memory of when I was very little in in Korea. I, I was teeny, and a cousin asking me, um, "Why are you going to America?" and me telling him to go to school. So just from that memory alone, I think that you know, like many Asian Americans who immigrate to the U.S., I think that my parents' dreams for me were were just to have a great education and to have a chance and. And I think a lot about what the American dream is today and how, um, you know, back then that's what we believed in. You know, I'm not so sure that dream is still available to a lot of people, but I'm, I feel very grateful that when we immigrated, you know, many, many years ago, um, that that was something that my parents had in mind and that was available to me and that I do feel like, you know, in some senses, you know, we're achieving it. Did they have like a specific career that they were hoping you would go into as a stereotypical Asian parents do? You know, um, my parents are so incredible. They actually, you know, they, they finished high school in Korea, but they never went to college. And, you know, in some ways they, they don't get to live the life that I get to live where I think about what do I want to do with my life? What will make me happy every day? I think like many of our parents and our elders, like they just had to survive. They had to put food on the table. And so when I think what they wanted for me and my big brother, Peter, was they wanted security. They wanted to make sure that we, you know, were safe. We had food, you know, we had the comforts that they didn't have. When I was younger, I remember telling my father I would love to make movies because, you know, as a kid who doesn't love movies. Right. Um, and he told me that, you know, I could be a lawyer and make movies as well. So I, I think from a very um, early age, I think my dad just, he sort of had a professional path in mind for me. And I was a studious kid. I got good grades. So I think that, you know, he was probably hoping that I would just stay on that trajectory and maybe go to law school, which I ultimately did. So it sounds like you uh, you didn't really rebel against the whole path, but it doesn't sound like you you continued being a lawyer now that you're at TAF. Yeah. No, um, I think my rebellion was very safe rebellion. I think I, I used to tell my parents when I was little, I used to tell my big brother all the time um, that everyone's 
you know, they should be lucky to have me in the family. I got good grades. <laughs> I stayed out of trouble. Uh, but I think in, in some ways, my rebellion was just wanting to live the life I wanted to live. And fortunately, I think some of our dreams aligned. I think they wanted me to be happy. They wanted me to have a good job. But I think that what I wanted to do with my life and how I wanted to live my life was probably outside the realm of even dreaming or imagining. And they say that to me all the time, that I'm living a life that they never could have imagined. Um, And it's really special when my mother, you know, she likes to say to me all the time, like, do all the things that I couldn't do. And, you know, and I get really choked up thinking about that because think about our moms and the generations that they grew up in, the sacrifices they made. And like, you know, it just puts into perspective, you know, what we're up against and what we what we have going for us um, in our lives day to day. But yeah, no, my parents, you know, I was a good kid. They're lucky, but I'm lucky too. Awesome. So cut to today, you're at TAF. Um, can you share a little bit about what TAF does? You know, I'm right now in, you know, I'm in my living room in my walk-up one-bedroom apartment in New York City. I got a text message one morning two years ago asking, hey, what was I up to and if, if I had time to talk? And this is where I got the phone call about what the Asian American Foundation was. I I learned for the first time that there was a group of business leaders that were coming together to form a national organization for Asian Americans. And they were folks like Jerry Yang, who's the co-founder of Yahoo, Joe Tsai, the co-founder of Alibaba and the owner of the Brooklyn Nets, and you know, CEOs um, of KKR and Citadel Securities. And I just remember thinking, I paced my apartment, um, right. my walk-up apartment for 10 minutes and thinking, this is exactly what our community needs. And this was at the height of the pandemic, a height of you know, the violence, um, you know, happening for Asian Americans all across the country. And being in New York City, I was especially scared, you know, in a way that I had never been before of being outside. It was actually kind of a very fraught time. And I remember thinking so, being so excited that this was happening and this was coming together and wanting to be a part of it. And when we launched the organization, we wanted to be an organization for the Asian American community, all Asian Americans, all sectors, and the, the way that I used to describe it when we were talking to potential partners is Asian Americans don't have power across industries, nonprofit, philanthropy, government, corporate, Hollywood, and TAF wants to change that. And so, you know, while if you go on our website, you'll see that this very specific pillars um, and strategies of work, but really, ultimately, we want to change the game for Asian Americans, whether it's bringing more resources into the community or thinking about representation, fighting racism. We're trying to do a lot, um, but I'm confident with the board that we have that we're, we can accomplish it. Awesome. You know, one thing that we really love about TAF is the way it takes a very holistic approach to um, these issues where you're working both with like grassroots organizations from the bottom up and then also through corporate partnerships from a top down approach. And I know like your focus is really on the corporate side. So can you share a little bit more about what you do to lead that top-down approach? Totally. Um, and the reason why, you know, I, I, I'm so lucky to work on the corporate side of it is because my career, um, you know, thinking back to when my father told me to go to law school, I, I did go to law <laughs> school and I was a lawyer and then I left the law and then I became sort of a social impact um, professional where I used to work at corporate foundations, worked on diversity teams, all in big companies. And so when I joined TAF, I really thought that working with corporates on this, on our work, our shared work was really important because when I was doing diversity at big companies, oftentimes Asian Americans were never on agendas. 
nor were we on budget. So thought this was a really great opportunity to be that external partner that I wish I always had to make companies care more about us. And so, you know, the top down, bottom up approach, we, we need both. And right, my skill set right. is working with, you know, CEOs and corporations. So I thought the best work that I could do at TAP was to sort of wrangle this group of people to make sure that they were, you know, aligned on our mission and working with us. Um, the one note that I would like to make when I was in law school, there's this thing that happens in law school where you know, everyone asks, what are you going to do when you graduate? And people who go into corporate law, sometimes people call them sellouts. Um, <laughs> and the people who get to do public interest law, right, they're the ones saving the world. And I just remember thinking how unfair that was, because as right. an immigrant who has to support her parents when she grows up, I always thought I never really had a choice. So I think at TAF, that's, I feel that regardless of what we're focusing on, we're trying to do the same thing. We're trying to do good in the world. We're trying to support the Asian American community. So whether it's focusing on CEOs or working with community leaders, I do believe it's all very important and just making sure that we're working together. I think that's, that's our ultimate goal. TAF's been around since 2021. And I'm curious in the time that you've been there and that you've like been building out these corporate partnerships, what changes are you seeing? I know You've mentioned before the budgets traditionally were less than like 5% or was even lower. Oh, yeah. No, I think there's a report um, from Asian Americans in Philanthropy that came out right before we launched that said, I think like less than 0.2% of philanthropic giving. Yes. I mean, it fluctuated, right? Right, right, right. Sometimes it was 0.5, but very, very little went to Asian American nonprofit organizations. And for people in this space, it's not a huge surprise. It's a very underfunded ecosystem. And I think that for TAF, we... The reason why we launched this initiative called the Giving Challenge was we didn't intend to galvanize $1.1 billion. And that number, by the way, is is probably even bigger than that. We just wanted to capture what people were going to do for Asian Americans right. and encourage them, right? So that year over year, it happened every single year instead of just happening those like one or two years where, you know, there were lots of attacks on the streets. Do you think it's it's increased so since? Um... Uh, absolutely. And I will tell you a story that I heard yesterday. So I was talking to a big company and when we launched having a conversation about what they were doing for Asian Americans, and it was literally maybe two people who were trying to fight the good fight within the company and there was nothing there. And so it was sort of almost like an apologetic, like, you know, we're not doing a lot, but we want to be involved. And then cut to two years later, talking to two new people and them sharing with me like the incredible journey that the company has been on setting up sort of a diversity sort of like infrastructure, making sure that the Asian American community there had their own ERG. And I do think in those two years, like they have grown so much. By the way, it's a really big company. They probably should have had all of that two years ago, but they didn't. And when you talk to our 70 corporate partners um, and you ask them, when did your Asian American employee resource group, these are like the the corporate clubs, right? That exist for, for the different identity groups. When did that form? most of them will tell you that they formed in the last two years. So I will say that when it comes to like the movement within corporate America for Asian Americans, so much has happened in the last two years. And I feel positive that, you know, that sort of excitement will just continue to build. That's awesome. Now, I guess like the counterpoint there is like, there might be some critics that like, yes, more companies are doing things, but a lot of it's just very being performative and they're not doing anything meaningful. Like, what would you say to those critics? Oh my God, we have to start somewhere. 
Right. It, we actually have to start somewhere. And I would rather them be performative with us right now than them just not care about us at all. The fact that they feel like they have to be performative for Asian Americans is a huge victory for us. So we should be proud of that. And then, Got you know, it. once we yeah. get in there, we sort of, we go in there and we help them. I think my favorite thing is to work with companies and help them actually think about how this is good for business. Oh. To go back to the example that you shared, like there was a couple of people who were within the company trying to like spearhead um, Asian American support. I'm curious, like for Asians in leadership roles who are aiding that top down approach, like within their organizations to someone who says like, you know, you guys are already really successful. Why do you want more? Like, how do you keep encouraging those who are trying within their organization and then to the people around them who may be like, why are you doing this? You know, the sad thing is I'm actually hearing from some of our partners that they are getting that right now. There are actually just a couple of conversations I've had in the last two weeks where um, they were asked, why are you doing this? Like, isn't it, isn't it, isn't it time to stop? Like we did enough in the last two days, in the last two years. Um, So I think, you know, to those people, you know, I, I want to be that partner that, that helps them stay in it. Because they have to be incentivized as well, right? So what we're doing as an organization is we're thinking about how to add value to their careers. So when we think about representation, right, how do we help them advance in their careers so that we have more Asian Americans in the C-suite and who become CEOs? Because I do think the more leaders we have across industries, the more incentive I think that those single Asian Americans in their companies have to actually do this work because the executives around them will see the value I think the thing about TAF that is unique is because of the way we were formed and who our founders are, I am finding it to be quite easy to bring along other companies because they see the value because of our founders. And so we want to use that for good. So basically, like you're getting more executive sponsors. We're looking for all the executive sponsors. They are very key. To people who Asian Americans who may be not in um, leadership roles, but they want to support the cause. And I kind of want to expand a little bit on that thought, like because there's a stereotype that Asian Americans are quiet and compliant. A lot of that started to unravel during the Stop Asian Hate movement. But for many of us, this is new. And what advice would you have to people who, especially parents, like they are raising the next generation, they believe in the cause, they want to help, but they have no experience like getting involved because they were just always told to like keep their head down. I mean, I think think the first thing to do is, you know, if anyone knows any Asian Americans, like we are definitely not quiet, you know, and we don't, (laughs) we have, we have many thoughts that run through our head and we have no problem sharing that with each other. So I think that for, um, for those parents and so for those people who might not be a part of like big Asian American community, I would say just speak up, right? I think that right now is a unique time where Asian Americans are speaking up, um, this is just an example from the corporate side. When we launched TAF, a chief diversity officer told me actually at another big company um, in New York City said that she's like, we've been getting more phone calls from Asian American employees like oh, in wow. the recent like weeks than we have ever received ever, right? And to me, I love that. It means that our community is actually demanding the things that we should have been demanding for years. And I think that for those of us you know, throughout the country who might not know how to get involved, some a large part of our work is education, like education in K through twelve. We're trying to get right. Asian American history in K through twelve in all public schools across the country, and so 
all of these parents, all these kids, we all go to school. So even getting involved in that, where you're asking the teachers and your principals, like, hey, what are we teaching our kids when it comes to Asian American history? That is a very, you know, easy way to get involved into this movement. And then there are, of course, many other things that they can do as well. And I think that, um, you know, for every Asian American out there, even my parents, right, like getting involved, voting, you know, making sure that we are voting, that's probably the most important thing we can do, frankly. Got it. No, that's really great advice. Now, we're kind of late nearing the end of our conversation. So I kind of want to bring it back to glowing up Asian, which for many of us meant like feeling a little split between two different cultures. And so I kind of wanted to ask, like, what was it like growing up Asian in a sh- in the Chicago suburbs? Oh, God. So I, um, <laughs> you know, you know what I love about being Asian? I think being an immigrant in this country, I think regardless of whether you're Asian or not, being an immigrant, that experience is very, I think, unifying. I think, you know, for me, I had that, like, I was that kid reading the mail for her parents. You know, I was um, embarrassed of the smell of kimchi when you open up the refrigerator, which is so sad and tragic. And if only little Priska knew that, like, you know, a few decades later, like all of her friends would have kimchi in their refrigerators, whether or not they were (laughs) Korean. Um, So I think growing up, I had a very sort of like traditional, like I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago. I fortunately grew up in a very diverse Um, community. So I didn't feel sort of like the racism that a lot of my, you know, friends who grew up in like, you know, majority white communities grew up in. But, you know, I I remember being called a chink um, when I was a kid and like having someone throw like a a snowball in my face while they did that. And so that's a very early memory that never leaves me. But I do think that the world that we live in right now is so amazing. And there's so much opportunity. I, I feel lucky that I was able to go to school in diverse communities. I came to New York City for college. You know, I've worked in DC um, and New York and other places that are super diverse. So I do think that I sort of sought after the communities and the environments that I wanted to grow up in. And so the glow up is because I sought up these places and these people that would help me become my best self. And I think being in New York City, working at a place like Taft, getting to work in the diversity space. Um, yeah, I'm a product of all of that. And I, I just think, you know, we should feel so optimistic and positive given how right. things are right now compared to three or four decades ago. Of course, there's a lot of work to do. We don't want to go backwards, but, you know, I don't know. I owe, Honestly, I owe everything to my mom and dad. Cool. I'm curious, when you say diverse community, was it like a mix of a lot of different types of people or was it... Was there actually a very big Asian community in Chicago? In the suburb that I grew up with, grew up in, I went to a high school called Main East in Park Ridge, Illinois. I I think we had like 40, over 40 languages spoken at my high school. Oh, wow. Like in every Asian possible. So it was very, very diverse, like all immigrants, most, a lot of immigrants, but definitely, you know, was just friends with all kinds of, you know, South Asian kids, Chinese kids, Korean kids, like you know, everyone. And we all hung out. We were all friends. We all played sports together. That's great. And was there an intentional effort by your parents to like make sure that you were connected to your heritage while you're growing up? Like, did you go to weekend school, for example? Well, my parents, um, they were small business owners. Uh, They had stores in the south side of Chicago. So my education was going to their store every weekend and every holiday. So no, I didn't get the (laughs) 
there was like a little a period of time where they did send me to Korean school, but that was very short lived. I was a very bad Korean student. Um, so no, they. I think my connection to my Koreanness was really like through my family. Like I, you know, grew up in a very large extended family. Uh, so we just saw each other all the time. We were together every weekend. Um, and so I think that when I think about being Korean, it's more about being a part of a big Korean family. I think that, you know, as an adult, when I think about who I am as a Korean American, now I have a lot of Korean American friends, right? And now, and I work right. in this space. So, but when I was a kid, it was more about family than anything. Got it. Got it. You know, that's something that I, um, which you said earlier about there's just so much more like representations, the communities are speaking up more that kids don't feel like they're ashamed of, let's say, what's in their lunch boxes as much as I hope they don't have that same shame that like a lot of us grew up having. And so I, I see it as like a very positive direction that we're moving in um, constantly. I, and I guess from like your point of view, from where um, you're from, your position, like what do you see as uh, another positive or what would you like to see more of? Oh, I'd like to see more of us um, in positions of power, all of us. I really want whether whatever sector you want to be in, I'm not going to tell an Asian American kid that they need to go (laughs) work at McKinsey, but I want wherever we are, I want us to be able to realize like our fullest potential. Um, Going back to my mom and dad, you know, not having gone to college, I wonder who they would be if, you know, they had the opportunities that I did. And I think that that's something that I wish for not only our community, but all folks, you know, in America and around the world. And I think that, what for Asian Americans specifically, I would like us to be able to lead in the ways that we can we we lead without, um, you know, feeling like we have to change ourselves or alter ourselves in order to right. be that leader. Bringing your full self. Mm-hmm. 100%. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I love that. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story on Glowing Up Asian. I really appreciated having this chance to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. This podcast is brought to you by Lingoways, the best way for kids to learn Mandarin, Chinese, and English. Co-founded by a parent and a teacher, Lingoways' award-winning online language learning platform connects students with professional teachers and uses a research-backed curriculum that makes learning another language fun and effective. Learn more at LingoAce.com.